Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Vinnie Eastwood Show, broadcasting live on AmericanFreedomRadio.com. And uh, what we're doing here is we're attempting to add Alan Watt to the call um, via Skype uh, calling, and it's just not working, possibly, because... Uh, AFR, I'm sorry ladies and gentlemen, we have to do some producing on air because we're having some technical difficulties with the line um, and we've got to somehow get Alan connected. He didn't want to call in because it's a toll call. We can't call him because the call line's fracked. So what I'm trying to do now is call him on the Skype. Uh, find a solution. You know, that's, that's, that's what you do, ladies and gentlemen. So AFR, if you're on the phone with him right now, trying to convince him to come on and everything like that, just like uh, uh, hang up or add him on to the, uh, the, the Skype call if it's at all possible, that would be quite nice. I'm uh, trying to uh, bring him in through the Skype now. Still not working. Still not working. Okay. Well, it's been two years trying to um, contact Alan Watt and have him finally get back to me. Um, and now I can't do it. <sighs> You've got to be freaking kidding me. You know, this happens, ladies and gentlemen. Where you, you know, you build something up, you promote it all over the place, and then at the last minute, something devilish and nasty comes in and snatches all your hard work and fate away from you. You all know what that's like, don't you? Of course you do, because you're a slave to the New World Order, just like me. People think that as soon as you're a, uh, a radio host uh, or fighting against the New World Order, that you're suddenly not a slave to it. I'm sorry. At all times, at no point in your life, have you actually ever really been truly 100% free, okay? Even if you've uh, had successes in court and so on and so forth, exposed in scumbaggery, there is no true freedom. Not currently. It is possible to bring it back if it ever existed in the first place. Alan should be calling us in now. Um, so if you're on the line there, Alan, speak up. Uh, but I don't think he is. He hasn't called in yet. Ah, uh, it's quite, it's quite actually frustrating, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really disappointed about this. And I apologise, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who tuned in expecting to hear Alan Watt, and all you hear is me just going, what the heck is going on? You know what I'm saying? It's a terrible situation. <sighs> the difficulty... And, uh, and dealing with difficulty. You know, normally, I think it's good to get your frustrations out. You know, I tend to, um, you know, if it's in private, not, a, not around people or what have you, and something goes terribly wrong, um, I just kind of let loose, you know, the yelling, the screaming, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the extremely really out of control kind of an Eastwood, you know. And uh, it's like that for a minute or two, and then all the anger's gone, and it's like, ah, back to normal. Peaceful and serene. Um, okay. I've got to figure out something here. I, I should be trying to... Uh, <laughs> what are we going to talk about with Alan Watt? Well, what do you speak about with Alan Watt? You know? You're talking about a man with uh, immense knowledge in many, many ways. And... Uh, in, in, a wide variety of subjects, uh, an intense knowledge of the elite. 
Um, AFR, if you click the uh, the add person or add people uh, to the call, and then you type in Alan's number with the uh, the plus one, the area code, that should actually be able to bring him into the Skype call, I think. I hope. One of the uh, topics that was of particular interest to me um, regarding Alan Watt was uh, his knowledge of uh, Illuminati breeding programs. I'm just going to... Uh, Dial that uh, little number in there. You know, oh, why is it that when you're a conspiracy theorist, everything starts to make you think that there's some kind of conspiracy, right? You know, the uh, Skype drops out or, uh, or or some kind of technical issue comes up. Automatically, people assume it's the new world order. It's the new world order. Instead of their own incompetence and their own technical malfunctions. Hey, Vinny, we that's, have to have yeah. Huh? We got him on the line? Yes, sir, we do. Can you hear me? Ellen, what? No? I can't I can't hear him. We we've been told now that Ellen is on the line. Uh but I can't hear him. Unless of course I'm supposed to unmute him with my little Unmutable, uh, wackadoo thingy here. Hold on one second, ladies and gentlemen. I, man, this sounds like a, a remarkably unprofessional broadcast. An absolutely unprofessional broadcast. And, uh, yeah. I think even when things aren't your fault, it's a good idea to just take responsibility for them and find a solution. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, this uh, thing won't log in. Okay. That's, that's great. All right, all right, all right. So let, me, let me see if we can list the uh, the technical malfunctions on the show so far today, ladies and gentlemen. So, firstly, our caller line, for which we call people and then have them on the radio show, is messing up, so we can't we can't call Alan. And then, secondly, the Skype won't call him; it won't add him to the call. Doesn't matter what we do with the combination of numbers or anything like that. And then, third. Alan actually does call in, but you can't actually log in. For some reason, it won't even allow you to click the button, log in, to the conference room. Hello. Okay. Oh, oh Alan, we've heard you. You got me? Yeah. Oh, we've got you. Okay. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is remarkably wonderful and absolutely fabulous to hear your voice at last. We've lost 10 okay. minutes of air time already. About to uh, pop my eyeballs back, out of my know. skull with frustration. Oh, yeah, eventually we got through, but uh, uh, even when I called back, you know, Bell kept saying you were busy. Uh, yeah. Mm -mm -mm. So, thank you very much for being here uh, in the first place. And my first question is, what is your website so that people can go and view your, your material? And the second question is, could you actually give us a bit of a background about from you growing up, how you got into these various fields of research for which you're so noted for today? Yes. The website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And on that site, you'll see all of the other sites I have listed, including Alan alanwattsentinel.eu. But uh, I got into it very early on because um, growing up in Britain uh, during the time I grew up, uh, I could censor massive changes 
I could sense uh, that there was mass unemployment, I think, since World War II, probably, right, to, right maybe to the present. But uh, in the working class areas, uh, I wondered why everyone was fighting about basic money for rent and things like that. Because you, you, you've grown your pals around uh, different houses, their, their mums and dads, and everyone was kind of tense, um, stressed out. And I, I realized something was vastly wrong with this system of a, something we're getting taught at school was called Great Britain. Uh, that fought all these wars and got a massive empire, and yet across the, the country, and that was North, that was England, Scotland, uh, Ireland, and uh, Northern Ireland, and, and Wales as well. Um, people were on almost almost fixed incomes, and it really was a fixed type of system, a rigged system on how much can you pay the average person just to sustain them and no more. Uh, by the way, we're going back into that, that's austerity. But uh, it was a rigged system. And then I found out at school that uh, the history I was being taught there did not tally up with the history that I could find in the big archives and the big libraries around me. So I, I used to go, I had passes to get in because I did awfully well in school. So I got adult passes even at the age of five and six, you know. And so I got into the old books. I, I, many of them, by the way, went back to the 1700s, even old newspapers from the 1800s. And the versions were given, even about Scotland, were com- completely different of the modern histories. And I realized early on, uh, when I caught on uh, to, to sociology, basically, and the writings of big players who attended world meetings to do with cultural organizations um, and the future uh, they were having, lots of world conferences. When you read the books of Bertrand Russell, uh, H.G. Wells even, who was a propagandist for this organization, it really was at the top at that time, uh, then I realized that, that uh, they wanted a planned society, and that's what we had, a planned society. So um, most folk live in a little bubble, and Huxley said this too, and we do. Uh, we, we grew up in a little bubble. Every age group is catered to right through your life. Uh, they know exactly what you want at five, what you want at 10 or 15. And, and the sexual changes too, uh, and libido, how to use it, how to keep years uh, of your life wasted in a sense, uh, as you just go around and just be a good consumer and producer and a good taxpayer. And that's what it boiled down to, planned by big forces that were way above anything you'd ever be taught at school. And um, eventually, of course, I got into much, much deeper stuff, and I read as many books as I could, and and uh, and I and I found out that sure enough, they had a big world agenda. They always had it. It was on the go before I was born, and even find the the, the old organisations that became, for instance, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, uh, American branch, and other branches are called Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, you found that they were they were descended from the Alfred Milner group, Lord Alfred Milner, uh, and uh, uh, Cecil Rhodes, who was his partner and co-founder, and along with Lord Rothschild at that time, they founded a, a, what they were going to do with an empire, create an empire from Britain, uh, grab the world's resources for themselves. Uh, they brought in the top eugenicists of their day, the early 20th century. And they, 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 even back then, by the way, they had already decided that we would have a post-industrial era and they would farm out a lot of the work to uh, different countries where the labor was cheap. And therefore, they'd have mass unemployment down the road. What to do with the people? Uh, they, they worked out in think tanks because they own hundreds and hundreds of think tanks working on special areas of society uh, to advise all governments now across the world. 
And they said they had to bring in world wars, eliminate cultures, most cultures, and, and eventually create some form of new culture for the general masses of population. Uh, so this was all worked out, but they needed world wars to make it happen. Uh, so World War I, which no one can make any sense of, really, uh, such a massive war over an archduke getting assassinated, it wasn't that at all, but they wanted that war, and you found out you had young Turks involved, they had young Italians involved. These were all revolutionary movements that were started up and funded by a group in London, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Rhodes Foundation, to get the young to rebel within their own countries to bring in something called democracy. Now, democracy is a very elastic term, and it's, all, it's never got a fixed definition, by the way. It never will have. Uh, it's a front, but it, revolutions is off, are awfully necessary to get all this going. And, and after World War One, and during World War One, they set up the League of Nations as a, a form, an embryo for a world government, with its own World Health Organization and everything for world vaccinations, all these things, and even a food distribution system, which we still have in the, in the Ministry of Agriculture for the United Nations. But it, it wasn't enough. And H.G. Wells, who was a propagandist, a paid propagandist, by the way, for this organization, has got lots of non-fiction books out there who believed in eugenics, and the proles, you might say, uh, the proletariat. He said after World War One, uh, in one of his own books, uh, just before he died, he says, we need another world war. The people haven't given up their sovereignty to uh, uh, the global natural elite who have the right to, to lead the world. Uh, so we need another war, he said. So we got one. And um, out of that came the United Nations. And during uh, all the propaganda uh, documentaries that put out by Path News, and many, many other uh, shows that they put out for, for cinema at that time and radio. Uh, that's the first time people kept hearing about the United Nations are moving against the Axis powers and, and so on. And after that, of course, it becomes more and more common. But grabbing the world's resources, even from the days of Cecil Rhodes, was a primary goal. Uh, that's why he took over South Africa. And then he got the British government involved as an excuse to troop it and police it. And then the taxpayers of Britain ended up paying for all the railroad lines across there. They already did the same with India. The taxpayers fund all these wars uh, so that the elite who lived at that time in London could become incredibly, credibly wealthy and, and, and have more further wars for grabbing world resources. We're still going through the, 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 the resource wars today, by the way, right across the Middle East, which were planned, at least published in the 90s by the Project for New American Century Group. So we're going through a complete change of everything. And um, eventually, too, one of the greatest think tanks they have. Yeah. I just wanted to say as well to, to those who might be uh, a little bit unfamiliar with the uh, Council on Foreign Relations and uh, the, uh, oh, sorry, it was a project for the New American Century we were talking about. They wanted yes. a new Pearl Harbor, and they got it on 9-11. Alan Watt is my guest. We'll be right back. Warning. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that recognises that things are just a little bit bonkers. It's the Vinnie Eastwood Show, broadcasting live on American Freedom Radio. 
from the fabulously fluoridated and Fukushima irradiated island chains nation paradise of New Zealand where the rad level is so high that everybody now no longer suffers from an economic crisis because of a special part-time job they all have as an incandescent light bulb. And my very special guest is Alan Watt, the illustrious, the famous from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Now, one of these perspectives I uh, often miss out on, Alan, is uh, uh, speaking to the elders who have not only uh, seen a lot through their life, but elders like yourself that have actually been aware throughout the entirety of that life. I've met some people who are only just woken up like about three, four years ago, and they're pushing and they're pushing fifty. And I look at you, and I see an entire lifetime of accumulated awareness and knowledge, and, and I think this is part of the reason why your radio show and the th subjects that you talk away about and the way that you talk about them is, in fact, so compelling. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, just please go well, well, Yeah, you've got to have some background and at least be aware of the changes uh, that they were living through. And I, I questioned everything. I, I can remember when um, I was really small, sort of toddling around, and and uh, miniskirts came in, for instance, just a thing like miniskirts. And the BBC, I think it was the only station we had back then, uh, one station, uh, was promoting it uh, on top of the pops and things like that. And they would interview the sudden rock stars that came out of nowhere, the pop stars. And um, they'd interview these guys falling off chairs, really stoned out their heads. Now, this was at the time, too, when uh, you had uh, Timothy O'Leary, uh, going around pushing the drugs and even Aldous Huxley with his doors of perception all aimed at teenagers to try the drugs out. Lots of articles just bust out in the, in the mainstream newspaper which, are, which is all controlled again by members of the Royal Institute for International Affairs or Council of Foreign Relations. They own the cartels, still do. And uh, so I, I thought well, why would the establishment at the top and people on the BBC with Oxford Voices because that's all they employed by the, at that time, by the way. It was only uh, people from Oxford. You had to get that to get into the BBC or get a job. Uh, why were they promoting what seemed to be the disruption of the culture and society? And I had to dig deeper, and I went back into the Roaring Twenties, where the same thing had been tried before, uh, where they brought in the miniskirts. Uh, they got the booze, uh, booze cans to be a, a very uh, naughty things to get into for youngsters. Uh, with prohibition, we found the big families like the Brothmans in Canada, for instance, ran uh, the booze industry. They, I mean, they're so wealthy. They even had a, a cruiser that went from Canada with the booze to Cuba, then into the States. Um, and this is all always allowed. You, you can't get away with this sort of crime, uh, obviously, without permission from a top gang of somebody's. And and then you. So I watched the fallout as I was growing up. Uh, naturally, girls got pregnant in the 20s. Of course, they got pregnant too. They, they didn't have the abortionists. They, they had to pay for their abortions. Uh, their orphanages got stuffed full of children, unwanted children. And uh, they didn't have uh, antibiotics to kill off the venereal disease that it promoted with, with the Charleston dance and all the music they were shoving out. And so they, they put it on the back burner, put our tax money, by the way, back into scientific research to come out with the pill just in time when they reintroduced the whole system in the 60s. Same system, by the way, exactly the same system. And if you go back into 1920s, you'll find, early 20s, you'll find H.G. Wells talking about that, 
how to make society more promiscuous to, to dissolve marriage altogether, which would dissolve the old cultures to make people more pliable, more easily managed, and more easily directed into the new. Once a culture, you see, uh, we're, we're kind of like sheep or cattle grazing in a field. That's how people really are. We like sameness and tradition. Uh, it gives us a form of stability, you see, in our lives. And when it's disrupted, we start to stampede. When you're stampeded, the big boys at the top through all the media and, and entertainment too can guide the direction of the stampede and you're in flux. Once you're in flux, you, you're easily downloaded with new ideas that, which actually aren't yours. Uh, and they'll, they'll sound wonderful and so on. Most folk will follow it and you end up with a planned society that we're now going dead ahead into so, so fast. It's just incredible. And then once that planned society has come to fruition, then we're all fluxed. That's right, we are. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty well there today, in fact, with the the massive outburst of technology. um, People don't notice each other, uh, even on trains or buses. Um, So much so, just a few weeks ago in San Francisco, I think it was, a gunman got on a a coach or a train. They actually have the video of him pulling the gun out, going behind different people's heads, walking down it. No one looked up from their iPads and their phones, and not a single person. And he shot a person in the back of the head eventually. That's, we're not involved in reality at all. And if you go into the writings of Marshall McLuhan, who predicted this phase would come, where it would simply be voices talking to other voices in the ether without physical contact, it's actually incredibly, it's here, it's here, and, and the changes are taking place. Yeah. Could I ask, uh, can I ask, from your perspective, when you've seen this uh, apparatus start to be set up, you've seen the deprecation of what it means to be human, you've seen the morality decay, you've seen all of these things happen, you're seeing literally, like in slow motion, your entire species devolving and you're actually aware of it. Is Mm -hmm. that awareness inherently traumatic? And if so, how do you deal with it? It is traumatic because I had to understand, once I knew what was happening or understood at least what was happening around me, I had, I had to understand the causes. I looked into previous ages. I realized that big players um, like Arnold Toynbee, for instance, in the 1930s at Oxford, who was a globalist and uh, a world socialist. When they say socialist, by the way, they mean uh, an ordered society by, run by an elite. That's what they mean by that. And he was all for that, and he taught many of the people who went up into world government uh, areas or, or later United Nations. And um, and he talked about the radical changes they'd have to make. By the way, that's where all all uh, British Commonwealth countries, um, if you have an NGO, non-governmental organization, after World War II, uh, you would get a grant from the government if you if you stipulated that you were for radical change. Only for, if you didn't have a radical change in mind, you would get no grants. And radical meant complete alteration of your culture, uh, even right down to genders, everything, um, and so on, and, and, and destruction of the family unit, etc., etc., etc. So we pay for our own destruction. The average taxpayer hasn't a clue. And I found this out just by going through, through life. I was in the music business, uh, did a lot of session guitar work. Uh, did a lot of solo stuff too in concert uh, and um, I played with some big bands 
and, and, and I wrote a lot of songs too and sold them. Uh, and they buy everything up, including your copyright, by the way. That's okay. That's understood because you don't know if it's going to be a hit or not. But the fact is, um, I saw the machinery of the music business and no one becomes a star without the business, the, the machinery taking them over and deciding. No, I mean, no one. And if they do pick someone, they can make anybody a star. I interviewed an artist, and he said that the music business is not about the music. It's yeah. about business. It's about social changing. And um, in fact, I can remember, in fact, it, all, it came down to all, all writers of music. And I worked with some big guys who got number ones and so on. And it came down for the writers from the top uh, that you couldn't have any songs from now on with he or she in it. That to be gender neutral, and that was in the late seventies. Yeah, and and so these things get implemented into the songs. Most people don't think about it at all, and um, but it's all there. All all the messages are there, and then we've seen it plummet uh, right all through the rock era, where lots of guys I knew were musicians. Uh, they couldn't get into certain bands because they wanted the gender neutral look, which was almost uh, effeminate, you know. Uh, and the, the, so they called it heavy metal with the tight, tight pants on and all the lipstick and so on. So I, and I refused a few live shows, by the way, big world shows. I refused to dress up like that, you know, because I often had to stand in for guys uh, in tours and things like that. So I, I, <laughs> I just says, no way. Uh, so that was what they projected to the young, getting you all ready for the present gender bending society and so on. It was all done years ago. We don't realize that, and never mind all the movies you watch that have all the PC stuff in it too and upgrade you. Uh, you, you also get it through the much, a lot of it through the music until you're down to, to rap. And you love the little jokes at the top because the rap means you wrap it up. It's ended. That's, that's the bottom. That's what it means. Uh, and, and so now you, all you have now is women dancing on much music with hardly anything on with uh, simulated sex and the youngsters think it's all normal, they all emulate it. If adults put it on at, and their mums and dads don't disapprove because they've been contaminated too. And that's a term by the way they use it at the top. The society must become contaminated. Uh, Yuri Bezmanov also called it the same term, the ex-KGB guy who defected uh, about the contamination in the West. Their parents are contaminated so they let the children watch it even more so. Uh, always uh, pushing the envelope. That's true. Envelope. You, you see on you see on television in New Zealand in uh, three four o'clock in the afternoon when the uh, five all the way through to sixteen uh, year olds are coming home from school, turning on the television, and there we have rap videos with strippers simulating sex the entirety of the time. So not only and and I want to get your perspective on this, Alan. Not only are we being hypersexualized and gender bent. But also, I start to see a sexualization or early uh, sexual uh, indoctrination of mm -hmm. children. Yep. Do you think this is in preparation for a pedophilia-friendly, elite-controlled future? Oh, absolutely. Uh, understand, the boys who behind this had been involved down through different centuries prior to this in creating revolutions. Most folk haven't a clue about the, 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 the revolutions throughout Britain. You remember too, Britain was one of the first countries that had a revolution. Most people forget that. Every major country that had a revolution for total change to get a, a small dominant minority to manage its affairs, including all its wealth and money. Uh, they always gave you red, white and blue. You had France, the US, 
uh, and so on, and, and Britain. So they always give you the same colours, because these are very ancient colours encoding, they go back all the way to Pythagoras. Uh, so uh, they give you these little jokes amongst themselves and so on, uh, but uh, they've had so many revolutions, they know how to use them down through the ages. And the reason they bring in the Toynbees and professors of history and philosophies, uh, like Professor Carl Quigley, who taught the State Department to the U.S., and the, the diplomatic course on cultures and histories and so on, is so important because they go through history and what worked in the past. How did they get big changes through? Uh, if rebellions were in a brew, how do you avert rebellions? All of these things, uh, and uh, the big think tanks take that information and work on it uh, night and day, 24 hours a day. Uh, before they make any particular change, uh, they, they work out every strategical move like a battle plan. If we do this, how will the public react to that? Certain segments will react A, some B, some C, and some D. Okay, how can we avert it? Okay, and, and they find ways to avert it, including sometimes putting your heroes out there before it's even, they've even made the first move. In other words, when something happens and everyone's complaining about something, oh, who, who can we talk about? Oh, they'll launch somebody who's got it all there for you. And you jump into it, and they lead you in circles for years, or voting for this guy and voting for that guy. Uh, that's the con that they do. These guys have been at this for centuries, you know. They've got it down to a fine art. Yes. Manipulating human society is something they have almost perfected. What... Uh, strikes me as very interesting, though, is some of the things that they do uh, backfire to a degree, wouldn't you say? Sometimes they'll expect all these things, actually, uh, and sometimes just to try, if people are kind of wisening up to something, they'll give you a temporary backfire, but they're going round it in a different direction at the same time, which you know what notice was complete. It's like laws that get struck down. Uh, and then uh, they go around in a different fashion, th put it through an omnibus bill with a different name, and you get it all, all the same. They never change their agenda. And I always say that, you know, if you read the big boys' books, and so, they tell you the whole future, and they never change the, the, the course that they're, they're on. Don't forget, too, that Plato, way back in his day, he talked about uh, uh, human behavior. This is what the philosophers were into. Because the elite at that time had, had a lot of time to chat about why they were the elite and why all the, 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 the people down below were, were the people down below. And he said that um, if you understand human nature and what worked in the past, he said everything therefore is a formula to bring it up to making it work. And so if, if what's worked with people and they have gone along with, the people have gone along with in the past, if you use the right formula, you can change them in that direction again any time down in the future. Does that mean if they can send us down a bad path by manipulating us, does that mean we could manipulate ourselves in order to choosing a good path? You, you can primarily if you understand what's happening. Most folk don't because nothing is put across as being harmful to anybody, even the big changes. In fact, it, 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 look at the sexual revolution. It's going to be fun, 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 drugs and rock and roll. And, uh, and everybody at that age went for it because that's when their hormones were screaming and it was like getting permission from the authorities and adults to go ahead and do it. When youngsters hear adults give them permission in such a way, they do it. Um, so uh, uh, very few folk wake up. Plus, you have to remember, peer pressure, peer pressure is counted on in every generation, again, amongst a particular target group. We're all categorized by age uh, and by the big boys' plans, just like marketing which is heavily involved in all of this too. 
and Bernays and, and the guys before Bernays. He didn't get it from Uncle Freud's books. It's old, old stuff. And um, they categorize what will work on you at 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 or 40. And by the time you're 40, you start, you start to realize you, you might be mortal. You, you, haven't, you haven't got the carrot you were promised as you're told to run. Uh, and, um, and you're not going to get it. And all you look forward to then is from the, working towards your pension. So it's always the youth they use. Yeah. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Alan Watt, Cutting Through the Matrix, is my guest. Yo, what's up? Check this out. The voice of the revolution. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. Oh, yeah, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that is all about business time. It's the Vinnie Eastwood show, the lighter side of genocide. Because in a world so full of chaos and madness, if you lose your sense of humour, you can go friggin' nuts. We have a very special guest who has uh, got so many bright ideas, more bright ideas than a 100-watt light bulb, whose ideas will expose the lies and give you the truth that you were never told. Alan Watt from Cutting Through the Matrix, welcome back. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. Now, you've had a, an extraordinary career in music. I didn't know that. Um, and mm -hmm. what I find very interesting about creative people is it's very unlikely that they'll actually be a psychopath, like a manipulator or something like that, and also doubly likely that they'll become victims of them who are trying to steal their good freaking ideas. I'm wondering if you've had uh, any personal experiences with these type of people. I've met lots of the psychopaths uh, who are in the higher management of the music industry. Uh, these guys are sharp. They read you before they speak to you or you speak to them. They read you like a, they know you immediately. And uh, they, I've seen them go for the young guys. Uh, people don't even understand that uh, often uh, they pick the guys out of lineups. Who don't, they don't know each other. They make them into a group. They give them a history which didn't exist. Uh, and the songs are all written in advance. They'll get them maybe four hits, and then they, they go away. Uh, I've, I've seen all that happen. Session guys do all the work on records and albums for them. And um, and that's the way it's, it's managed. It's show business, remember. It's all show business. There's nothing out of show business you can believe. And, uh, and But I've seen these sharks, and they'll get the young guys who sign their life away uh, because they'll supply them with drugs. They'll supply them with lots of booze, lots of women, put them up in big hotels, make them feel like they're, they're stars. And it's not till the end, uh, maybe the three or four years, they find out they haven't a penny in the bank that, own, that they own. It's all been signed away to other... Uh, you only get $3, you know. Uh, I think it's $3 per record if it's an album. Uh, then they have to have breakage fees come off of that. That can be one-third to two-thirds. Because it always include a breakage fee, even if you don't have any in it too. And then you've got other cuts come off. Until you're left with almost nothing, the guys who manage you and the cohorts that they work in the machinery of the, the entertainment business, they get most of the loot, you know. It's only a few guys that have been on the go for a long time once their contracts are up. If they can last that long and not kill themselves, they'd eventually uh, get their own contract with their own lawyers for the next round or, uh, go around. Like the Rolling, Rolling Stones did that, in fact. Uh, so uh, that's how it's done. Yeah, but these guys are definitely psychopaths. They they could charm anybody, make you believe that you're the the best, biggest thing in the world. Play on the egos of the young, and when you've got all the women furnished to you, all the drugs, all the booze, uh, the big cars, 
nothing is in your name, of course, uh, they'll start to believe it uh, and they're, u- they're used. I mean, completely used and wrung out and thrown away. Yeah. That's the truth of is it. Is that part of a programming for our culture? Because I see now a lot of young former child stars that were kind of uh, beacons of kind of uh, hope and morality, you know, like the uh, the early Britney Spears and uh, uh, Katy Perry and so on and so forth. Then they get turned into these almost uh, celebrity super whores overnight for some reason. Yes. And as a result, you see all of these very good, clean-cut little girls and whatever who look up to these uh, uh, young women yep. almost overnight themselves foresee a change in their own life and their yep. own morality standards. Yeah, and don't forget too. It's not just the music industry; it works with the fashion industry, uh, the magazine industries, uh, which again are heavily into changing culture. Bernays said it too, you know, to change society, and he got it from an old idea. It was way back thousands of years actually, but uh, he he said that you always aim at the woman, the young female, uh, because uh, they're more ad- more, more uh, uh, able to to and more, more willing actually to try something new, anything, experiment something new. Uh, as opposed to men who tend to be more conservative or staid in their ways. So they, they, you do it through the women. And, that, and so when back in, the, in about the 70s, they had about 90% magazines on the shelves, all aimed at women from all ages. Then you had all the specialists in, in those magazines telling them how to have their sex life, how affairs are good for you, um, what to do with your life, should you break up, should you have divorce. All these things were, were and women lapped that up and, and believed it. And now you have the Oprahs, etc., simply t- taken over from there. These are all put out there, these front people, to, to mass manipulation. Also, at the same time, I believe one of the leading feminist magazines in the 70s was directly financed by the CIA. And, yes, and going back to what you said about uh, going after the women, uh, I think it might have been the Romans uh, that said, if you want to control the men, you need to control the women. And if you want yeah. to control the women threaten the children. That's correct. Uh, uh, what, they, what they did in, in ancient Greece too, and in Rome, uh, because remember the aristocracy of Greece actually moved to Rome, they owned all the money and they, they created Rome uh, and still ran the money system. But uh, what they said was that they had to, um, you actually, if the guys were refusing to work or working slow, the slaves and so on, uh, they told the women not to have uh, intercourse with them at all. No sex, etc. And so a primary drive was cut off until they complied with their bosses or their managers or their owners. Uh, and uh, and then they would comply again. Uh, they did the same thing, by the way, in so-called democratic Britain and other places uh, during miners' strikes in the 1950s. Uh, the government told them, that the women, if you want money and bread on the table, you tell your men to get back to work and just refuse them all their comforts, they said. This has been used down through history. Because they're all formulas and techniques, which are never forgotten or was taught to, to special folk in every generation. So this is old, old, old stuff. Adolf Hitler said, we'll bring in a form of totalitarianism because he says democracy will never work. Uh, and I understand what he meant by that. If you really go into the writings of those who supposedly created democracy, which is a cover. Uh, but uh, Adolf Hitler said, uh, aim all the propaganda at the women because they want safety and security, go over the head of the husband who's a provider and who's normally the strong figure until the country, those who lead the country are the strong figures, which was himself. Uh, so it says she will follow and therefore must follow the child. Yeah. 
And so this poor must follow the husband. <laughs> and that, that, so these are old techniques used down through the ages that people don't know. What I see now happening in the New Zealand Parliament, at least, is a perforation of these very masculine women who come yes. in and you expect them to be sort of the, uh, the mother-nurturer, uh, but what they're actually really there for to, is to instill these very ruthless policies that destroy family units, all the yep. while saying, I w- used to be a single mother who benefited from this system of social um, catch nets and everything that we've got, and now I'm going to delete everybody's social catch net. That's right. Well, also remember, don't forget that uh, Lord Bertrand Russell, who was given charge of the Macy group that came in from Europe, uh, uh, a lot of them fled from Hitler, in fact, and set up in the US, and he was also put into the, um, the, the Vienna School that also came over, and you had the Frankfurt School. He was, he was working with these globalists to create a brand new culture for the world, and he was given authority by the President of the United States because those who had fled uh, Germany and all those countries claimed that they were afraid that the West, especially America, would become uh, fascist or Nazi itself. So they, they were given complete uh, uh, coverage to do whatever they wanted to do, uh, and they, they went to work. These boys flooded in from Eastern Europe and all through universities right through the 60s, and then they fomented for revolution in the 60s, and that's when it all broke out in the U.S. especially. Yeah. And and now what you see is that same sort of scheme, like you'll see a number of uh, think tanks, groups, uh, non-governmental organizations, and they all wind up at some point down the chain have some form of connection. Yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. Uh, I've come up with this theory, I'd like to get your, uh, your take on it probably after the break. Um, you, you know, the fractal universe theory, it's all a hologram and everything that you look into, you see the same pattern repeating. Yes. Well, I've come to see all of this negativity and all of this uh, uh, lies, deception, uh, enslavement of the human race as a form of scumbaggery. And mm-hmm. with each form of scumbaggery, you tend to look into it, one particular scumbag, one particular instance of scumbaggery. Then the closer you look, the pattern starts to repeat and you see even more scumbaggery branching off to the sides in an infinitely repeating pattern. I called it fractal scumbaggery. And that seems to be the nature of our very reality today, to me. It is, but also uh, the boys in the 20th century, especially who who carried this movement forward from previous generations and centuries, uh, they they got in the top scientists, you see. Science was to take place, uh, take to replace all gods, basically. And a form of secular humanism was to get promoted by the United Nations. That all happened as well. And uh, they, they said that eventually, and Bertrand Russell said this, Lord Bertrand Russell, he said eventually the public will be unable to do anything, even change, a, 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 he called it nappies, it's a diaper for a baby, without uh, the expert advice from a professional. That's happened in my lifetime. It seems to be growing in speed, size, and scope. And it makes people very worried that if they don't fight back very, very soon in order to expose what is happening and to teach people the real truth about how the world is really run, we may not get another shot 
at overthrowing them because this could be possibly the worst, most overarching, most uh, uh, incredible scheme of control, global control, ever thought out and implemented. So instead of the normal, we beat them, they beat us, and they beat us again, and so on and so forth, it might just be them winning forever. That's, That's the best of an idea to fight, I think. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with Alan Watt.